As we come now before the very word of God, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea in chapter 12. We'll be here today in Hosea chapter 12, and if you're looking in your bulletin, it says Hosea 12 and 13, and that is the case. Uh, today, we're going to read two full chapters, uh, which is more than we've ever read uh, together, at least out of, out of Hosea. We're not going to try to unpack all of those things. We'd be here till Tuesday. We'll just focus on, on one verse out of these things, but... But I didn't want to just summarize uh, these verses. I want us to hear them. And, and even if we don't register everything that they say, that's quite all right if we don't uh, get it all. We want to try to at least get the flow of what the Lord is saying here to his people. Uh, so before we read, would you please, please pray with me? Uh, Lord, help us in this time to hear from you and to receive these things, not as words of men, but as what they really are, which is words of God. Uh, would you set these things at work in us? And by your Spirit, would you guide us in truth and help us to believe? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Hosea in chapter 12, and actually I'm going to catch the verse right before the beginning of chapter 12. So we'll begin technically uh, in chapter 11, verse 12. Uh, here we go. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds in the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. A merchant, in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I'm rich. I've found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the appointed days of the appointed feasts. I spoke to the prophets it was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there's iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps. On the furrows of the field, Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him. 
and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt you know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion. Like a leopard, I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, Give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he's an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up. His spring shall be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. Hmm. This is the very word of God. Now, I know that's a lot for us to process, so perhaps it would be helpful for us to think about it this way. If we were to imagine Hosea, the author here, the prophet, as, in addition to being a prophet, as also a modern musician. And if Hosea uh, set these words of the Lord to music, put them in a big, big orchestra, I think in this section, and perhaps even in the majority of the book of Hosea, I think my guess is, if this were a piece of music, the main instrument that we would hear playing these things is the the cello. I think that's the best fit for at least the tone of these words, a, a, a cello. Uh, I thought for a while maybe the best uh, thing might be a timpani, you know, one of those big old drums with the big sticks that you, you bang on because these are part of the judgments of the Lord after all. 
by now, after several weeks, again, we're hearing more indictments from the Lord God. They have a sort of military quality to them, a big uh, drum beat. There are notes here of a coming war, of destruction, of, of ones to be torn, uh, sometimes that are even graphic here, descriptions of the sword falling upon even women and children, that Assyria uh, will carry Israel off into exile in ways that are very uh, severe. There are fierce notes in this, and I, I do not want to diminish them or the, or the wrath of God that Israel uh, deserves for her sin. But... That said, I think the dominant tone of these chapters, the dominant tone is not of aggression. It's a tone of affliction. That in these chapters, we're hearing the effect of ongoing sin. That Israel is sinking lower and lower and lower into this sad, miserable state. And the best way to capture that sad, miserable state is with a melancholy tone. I love the cello, but it gets that note, you know, those deep notes that are long and low. The ooh, ooh, ooh. That's here. Now, we should keep in mind that these words are coming from the perspective of Hosea, from the word of the Lord. And Hosea and the Lord are looking at Israel and see their sad state. So they're the ones orchestrating the notes of the cello. But the people of Israel themselves do not seem to hear the notes. They're kind of carrying on their merry way, playing their little kazoo, and saying, we're doing just fine, thank you very much. You know, Hosea here names all sorts of sins that the, the people continue uh, to, to live under lies, deceit, cheating, oppression of the poor, uh, ignoring of justice, loving of wealth, worshiping of bales and idols. But there's, there's one sin that stands out in particular, or one set of sins. It's in chapter 13, verse 6. The Lord says, when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. And therefore, they forgot me. This is a sad state that the people don't realize. That they, they, they were full, which led to their pride. And their pride led them to forget God. The issue is not that they're too empty, but rather that they're too full. And that's an unsettling verse. Because you, I mean, at least for me, I listen to this and it sounds familiar. I know many people, even maybe myself in some ways, like this, who wonder if we're able to hear the notes of the cello, the long, low notes about this. We don't have time to address all of this. This is verse 6. There is not the, vo the verse we'll focus on. Considering that this whole thing is one big cello piece, there's another verse in here that doesn't feel like it quite belongs. 
it kind of runs against the grain of everything else. It seems out of place or like it's part of a, a, a whole different orchestra piece altogether. Because amid the, like, the big somber swells of the cello and even the occasional timpani beats of, of military pieces, there's one brief but clear little trill of a flute that kind of pops out of the deep. It's in chapter 13, verse 14, at least the first part of it. And this will be our focus. Let me read it. Chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord says, I shall ransom them from the powers of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? And these words have perplexed some scholars and Bible translators because they seem so out of sync with the rest of the chapter that's so dark and low. And so to make them try to fit the context, some people render these in the form of a question, shall I ransom them? Shall I redeem them? But these are not questions. These are statements from God, promises even from God. And it seems as if the Lord almost puts this verse purposefully out of place to draw attention to it. So one preacher, one old preacher called this, this particular verse, a rock of mercy rising in a sea of wrath. So whether it's a rock of mercy or, or, or a little flute of hope in, in a cello orchestra, whatever it is, this verse stands apart and is supposed to, we're supposed to see it. Now, let's look at what these notes actually say. So if we're looking at verse 14, it says the Lord will ransom the Lord will redeem. Those two words are very similar, and they mean to purchase or to pay the price of something. To ransom or to redeem is to pay the price of something, to purchase it. So it's often in relation to bondage or slavery. So we're told in Exodus that Israel is redeemed out of slavery in Egypt through the Exodus that the Lord in some sense purchases or buys them back. Here in Hosea, they're not purchased from slavery. What are they purchased from? Death. Redeemed from death and from Sheol. That word may not be familiar to us, but Sheol is an Old Testament way to refer to the, the place of the dead. So this promise here is actually a promise of, of resurrection. That death, either you know, literally or figuratively, what have you, death does not get the last word. So if we recognize these words, if, if as I read them, you go, I know those from somewhere. Death, where are your plagues? Sheol, where is your sting? That's because Paul picks up these words out of Hosea and even quotes them in the famous resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. He draws from Isaiah and from Hosea and other places. This is the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. Paul writes, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's happening here is in the New Testament, we're hearing those same Old Testament notes of resurrection, 
but just played out a little bit further. We get a few more notes added on that Jesus now, through his own death and resurrection, has secured a resurrection for all of his people. That is, the victory doesn't belong to death. The victory belongs to to Jesus. So where in the Old Testament we only get just a few occasional notes of this flute of resurrection played here and there, it's not mentioned very often, resurrection. It just pops up in a few spots here, here and there. Now in the New Testament, in the hands of, of Jesus, this tone of resurrection is, is swelling into this big fanfare with trumpets and cymbals, and the whole orchestra is playing this one big song of resurrection. This even builds into a huge grand finale in the book of of Revelation. So when we open the book of Revelation and we first see Jesus, in the first chapter, Jesus is standing before uh, John and in the midst of the churches, and he's holding something. Jesus is holding a set of keys, They're the keys to death and Hades, he says, which is the New Testament way to describe the Old Testament, Sheol, this place of the dead, the the keys to death and Hades. And Jesus said in that moment, I was dead, but I'm alive now forever. So fear not. That's the implication there. I'm holding the keys of death. So fear not. Do not fear death. We know that all of us, not only Christians, but everyone on earth, except for those who are alive when Jesus returns again, all of us will experience death at some point. We experience what's called in the end of Revelation, the first death sooner or later. But in the very last pages of the book of Revelation, there's what's called the second death. And for every Christian, for every person who is in Jesus, because we're redeemed, bought back from death by Jesus, we are resurrected in Jesus, the second death doesn't touch us. The second death is the death that is truly chilling. It's what's also called the lake of fire. And in the final pages of the word of God, into the lake of fire are cast all of those who are still enemies of God, whose sin remains upon them. Into the lake of fire are also cast Satan and all of his angels. And also into the lake of fire is cast death itself, and Hades, or Sheol, the place of death. All of this are cast into the second death. So death itself is put to death at the end of all things. So that's what Hosea then means when he says, O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? That is, everything is, all, all of it, death itself is swallowed up forever. But we are not. We are not. 
Because the Lord says of his people, I will ransom you from Sheol. I will redeem you from death. That's God's promise of resurrection. Now, I would imagine not much of this that I've said so far is new to many of us. I mean, resurrection's a thing around here. We build a whole holiday around it at Easter, after all. We know things about resurrection. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what exactly are we does this mean for us now? What impact is this to have upon us? There is a sense in which every sermon that you hear from me or really from anyone else, every sermon is calling us to the exact same thing. So the act of preaching is not mainly to teach us how to live better. I'm not here to give us life skills or to be our life coach. There's perhaps a place for that, but not mainly here. The act of preaching is to be a herald, which is an old way of saying it, to be a proclaimer. You know those guys that run through the street with the bell? Ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. It's to declare news. Hear ye, hear ye. I have something I need you to hear. So even if this is not new news, you know, after you've been a Christian for a while, we've heard familiar things before, and a lot of that's very good, but it's still news, important news, and especially when it comes to Jesus, good news. Today, the particular bell ringing of news that I'm proclaiming is that the Lord has promised to redeem us from death. Jesus has secured resurrection for us. So the main call of response to this good news is not just hear ye, hear ye, but believe ye. Believe this. These are, it's a call to believe God's word here. It's not just to believe me and what I'm saying, but believe God and his word that he will redeem so every sermon, in some sense, is a call to believe the Lord. But that belief, we know, is not just kind of separate from the rest of our lives. We want God's promises to really sink into us. That is, as we come to believe them, that they begin to change us. So what exactly does this belief in the re resurrection do for us? Are you familiar with the, the song, at least from my childhood, Dem Bones? You know the one I'm talking about? Or, or uh, Dry Bones or Ezekiel? I'm getting a couple of head nods. Good. I thought maybe it would just be me, but Ezekiel cried them, Dry Bones, Ezekiel cried them. I won't do that. That's enough of the singing. This song loosely based upon a real occurrence in the Bible. I won't read it because it's long and, and uh, I don't have time for that. But it's in Ezekiel chapter 37 if you're interested in reading the entirety of it. Let me summarize what happens here because it's very strange. The prophet Ezekiel is taken by the Lord into this valley. And the Lord takes Ezekiel on a, a, a tour, a tour through the valley. 
And, and the whole valley is full of dead men's bones, of men who have been slain in the horrors of war. They're scattered, and the bones are bleached dry by the sun. And the Lord asks Ezekiel a question in that moment. He says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? It's a yes or no question. Seems like it'd be easy. Ezekiel, being a smart guy, doesn't answer the question. He says, Lord, you know. <laughs> Lord, you know. And so then the Lord says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy over these bones. I want you to call these bones to hear the word of the Lord. Sounds strange, but Ezekiel does. And as Ezekiel is speaking, he hears a noise. Sometimes it's translated a rumbling or perhaps a rattling. Whatever it is, it begins to grow loud, and Ezekiel watches as these scattered bones begin to reassemble. That's where we get to the part in the song where, you know, the knee bones connected to the thigh bone or thigh bones connected to the hip, I don't know, whatever else is next, depending on how, much, how many surgeries you've had. Uh, but, you know, in a song that sounds all very silly and kids things and when we go up the body head to toe and all of those things, but can you imagine the reality of this? Watching this, it would have been truly bizarre. Like, I'm not even sure that I can quite imagine it. Like, something straight out of a Tim Burton movie. Because Ezekiel watches, not only as the bones begin to reassemble, even more eerie than that, on, on the bones begins to form sinews, that is, muscle, and then flesh, and skin. But the Lord's question to Ezekiel is not answered yet. He asked, can these bones live? There's now full bodies here, but they have no breath in them. And so the Lord says, one, gives one more call to Ezekiel. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to call the four winds to breathe breath into them. And so Ezekiel does, and as he is speaking, the breath comes into these bodies. And a whole valley full of men stand up on their feet alive again. Not zombies. That's Halloween stuff. These are real, living, breathing people. A massive army resurrected from war. That's what occurs. At the end of it, we get a summary from the Lord, which is a message to Israel based upon this occurrence. I will read this. This is in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 11. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. 
Again, this is a promise of resurrection, one of those moments of flute playing in the Old Testament. But you notice this comes out of the main plight of Israel. Their problem is not just that they said, we're dead. It's not just that they're saying, our bones are dried and bleached in the sun. Did you hear it in verse 11? Israel says, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. That's their situation. They are feeling entirely hopeless. It's as if the cello for them had become so loud, so all-consuming that they cannot even hear a note of the flute. And that's a bleak place to be. There's a word here for us in this. Because there can be moments for us, at least, when we, when we look out at society, that there can be a sense of just hopelessness. You know, we're looking at a culture that runs on money and gossip and the glow of screens. We are consumed with idols, build our whole lives around them. And we could say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Oh, well, maybe we'll find hope in the church, but then we look at the church at large and we see way more bickering than we'd like to see over silly, trivial things. There's abuse scandals coming out all over the place from inside of the church, and and the church often, sadly, is way too concerned with saving its own skin than it is about sharing the love of Jesus with other people. Go, our hope is lost, our bones are dried up. You know, even if we're honest and look at ourselves, our own hearts, maybe you've felt or experienced this, noticing how I lift up my own heart to the same sins over and over again. You wonder if, it, you know, am I making any progress at all? Is the Spirit at work in me in any way? Things I... I once loved passionately, you know, noticing them start to grow cold and lifeless. My bones are dried up and my hope is lost. When, when the sting of death seems to rule, and there is just one long unending cello solo, the temptation in those moments can be to despair. Even to surrender to that despair. To consider, like, that's just the way it is. Do not let yourself go there. Even when things seem hopeless, do not surrender to that gloom. Remember that our Lord is not just a God who takes broken things and makes them fixed. Ours is a God who takes dead things and makes them alive. 
That's true of us as individuals and for us as a church and even for all creation. That he's, the Lord is going to snip the stinger out of Sheol and rattle dim bones right back to life. So listen for the promises of the flute. Believe in the Lord's resurrection and hold on to hope in God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that your word is sure, that your promises are true, and that Christ has the victory over all things. Help us to to believe this, to hold on to a hope in you. Lord, would you give us a trust that not even death itself can shake. We know you are powerful for these things. And so we give them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.